And now, a special message from Pastor Kent Crispus from the Elijah Co. Ministry Conference 2023. When the Lord is speaking to the seven churches in Revelation and Paul is chronicling what the Spirit is saying, he would end the letter by saying to every church, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And uh, I have come to realize that God is always talking. We're just not always listening. But the Godhead is fellowshipping. In fact, it starts out that way. It says, and God said, let us. So they had a conversation. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to each and every one of us tonight. So many times over the years I have preached a message and I would have multiple people come up and say, you were speaking expressly to me. And they all thought I was talking to them. And I wasn't. It was the Spirit of the Lord was targeting them by the Holy Ghost and releasing a rhema word into their spirit. And so... Um, I don't, anymore, I don't have a clue what God's doing as far as, um, you know, I, I went to the Sunday service to preach, and I'd struggled all week, and I, I'm finally learning that the, the more difficult I have in trying to get a handle on what God wants to do for that service, the more spontaneous God is generally going to move. And um, I, actually, I, I might have shared this uh, recently with one of our groups but after last Sunday I finally told the Holy Ghost I said okay um, I'm repenting because I'm not going to go into services anymore with trepidation and worried about are you going to do something I'm, it's just a foregone conclusion that we don't have to know beforehand what God is going to do we just need to be obedient to the hand of the Lord. And uh, so I wrote some things down that I got in prayer today. Um, some of these <clears throat> resonate very deeply within me personally uh, over the last 52 years, in fact, of, of preaching the gospel. Um, and it's, it's, it's humbling to realize for all of us how much God has suffered waiting for us to get where he wants us to be. And I've told the Lord, I said, I'm sorry for the times that you have had to sit and have long suffering because you were waiting for me to get where you needed me to be. So I'm going to take our text tonight out of a familiar portion of Scripture. Um, this is in Philippians chapter 3. And um, I think we'll just read verse 10. That I may know him. That, that has become my life pursuit. That I might know God. Hallelujah. That I might know God. That when you and I cross over into the pearly gates, we will not see Jesus and say, who are you? But I will say, that's him. Hallelujah. 
that I know you. Oh, I know you, Lord. And we embrace, but he starts out, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, Holy Spirit, I yield to you tonight. And God, we're not asking you to come down. We're asking you to elevate us into the divine holiest of holies that exist in heaven's throne. And Lord, as we release the word of the Lord tonight, that every demon of discouragement would be destroyed, that God, every yoke would be destroyed by the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. God, that clarity might come tonight to our lives, that we would leave this building encouraged by the power of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated. And uh, I honor our church for standing. Uh, uh, It's frustrated me over the years that when we read the Bible and we have a text that the church does not stand like it used to. So we've been challenging our people that when I give the text to read, they just stand up because we are honoring, hallelujah, the word that has been made flesh in the house of the Lord. And there's an anointing right now in this atmosphere by the power of the Holy Ghost. I can sense it. Hallelujah. I believe that the Spirit of God is in this place, and the Lord is going to baptize some of you with a freshness of the Spirit of the Lord. And and I believe that there is a theme that is in this house that's going to run through a thread of every service, because when you leave this this conference I with all of my spirit I believe that there are new graces and new anointings and new mantles that you've never walked in in your entire life that God is going to mantle you with by the power of the Holy Spirit hallelujah and so I want to talk to you about resurrection and uh, but I'm going to have to back up here and we're going to have to embrace the the story of suffering and we, we have such a struggle with trying to wrap our minds around a loving God that would allow us to go through such painful times. And unless you know God by the Spirit, you will become bitter and angry at the Lord. There are many of you in this room that have went through battles of cancer. Many of us have buried loved ones. I preached my own son's funeral just a year and a half ago. And after believing that he would be raised from the dead and crawling upon his lifeless body and believing that God would do it. And many of you have gone through great rejection. And some of you are ministers who have paid such high prices for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet you have not seen the harvest that you have believed for. And then the other difficulty is watching people who are less dedicated and less committed and to watch them achieve the levels of success that you have believed for and yet it has not happened. 
Paul writes here, and no one was more qualified to write about suffering because the Lord from the very beginning told, I think, Ananias, or it was Barnabas, he said, tell him how much great suffering he shall have to endure for my name's sake. There is no shortcut through the anointing of the Holy Ghost. There is no fast pass to the anointing of God getting a hold of your life. Why do we suffer? Because it's in the midst of suffering that you learn how to fellowship with the Lord. It is not on the mountaintops. It's in the midst of destruction. It's in the midst of disappointment. It's in the midst of failure. It's in the midst of bankruptcy, it seems like, that the Spirit of God settles down and you meet God face to face and in the fire of adversity you learn how to embrace the king of kings and the lord of lords until you can finally say I don't love you for your power I don't love you for your gifts I love you because you are my father we don't honor God for what he's done we honor him because he is our father And fellowship is not birthed on the mountain. It's birthed in the valley. When you think of your walk with God, most of us that have been in service for the Lord for a long time, our minds will go back to the low moments. That, yea, though I walked through the valley and the shadow of death, He was with me. Hallelujah. That he did not forsake me. It's in the moments of fellowship, the suffering that we go through, that God begins to develop in us the ability to hear the voice of the Lord. And um, everybody wants to reign with God. But it says this, if we're going to reign with him, you're going to have to suffer with him. And that is one of the biggest exclusions that the pulpit in America has left out in the gospel is that we raised up a generation of believers that thought if you suffered, you were out of the will of God or there was sin in your life. But I can tell you this, the ones that God loves the most are the ones that go through the hottest fires because it is in the fires of suffering that God begins to burn out your greatest enemy, not the devil, but self. When great men who do great things start believing they're great, they stop doing great things. When great men or women do great things, start believing that they're great, they stop doing great things. Samuel anointed two kings. The same anointing that came on Saul came on David. 
The difference was, and Samuel looked at Saul and he said this, when you were little in your own eyes, God could make you king. This is what the word little means in the original. This is what Saul is, Samuel is saying to Saul. When you were unimportant, when you were insignificant, and when you loathed yourself, God was able to make you king. But when you became lifted up, God took the kingdom back away from you and gave it to a man who was after God's own heart. Hallelujah. The men and women that are going to change the world that God has reserved as the remnant for this hour, saith the Lord, have battle scars, have bruises on them, know what failure is intimately, have walked through great failure. Whenever you follow a man who has never failed, you are in danger of being disappointed because the foundation of of greatness is somewhere there had to be a face-to-face encounter that I am not good enough. I cannot do this. But if I rely on the Lord, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God is no longer going to put up with arrogance in the house of the Lord. God is no longer looking for only talented people. The talents that you and I, whether they came easy as a young person or old, they still came from God. But intimacy and relationship is something that God says you have to pursue with all of your heart. No wonder when they asked What was the greatest commandments of all? He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. If, and the scripture here is very plain in saying it is taking place. It says, if we are buried with him in the likeness of his death. I hate death. God never put anything in any human being that is able to deal with death. I, I've, I met death for the first time waking up at Christmas time as a 12-year-old boy and my 38-year-old father, who was the love of my life, just had passed. And so we, I grew up, I watched what it did in our home. I watched what it did to my mom. It put her in depression. And death, death takes no prisoners. And many of you have experienced those things. And the Bible says this, that the very first thing that Jesus did at Calvary was he went down into hell And he got a hold of death. Hallelujah. He looked at him and said, I'm taking authority over you. He didn't destroy him, but he stripped him of his authority. 
And when he came up out of the grave, he said, I have the keys to death to hell and to the grave. And so the enemy cannot kill you. I just finished with the book of Job and it's such an incredible book. And the Lord at the end, he indicts Job's three friends because he said, you did not speak truth about me. But he didn't say that about Job. He said, you spoke of me, but you didn't have knowledge. But he didn't say you didn't speak truth. And he began to unveil himself as he sits in this dissertation. And, and Job is in this euphoria because God is talking to him again after all of these months. And in the midst of maggots, they say, coming out of his skin and the smell of death all over him, God comes down to the midst of that stink because he smells the fragrance of worship coming out of a man who has almost wished he could be dead. And God begins to speak to him, and he begins to describe his majesty. And finally, Job says, oh, I heard about you with the hearing of the ear. But he said, my God, today I have seen you with my eyes. May the Lord begin to release in the atmosphere an apostolic vision and an open heaven that you have a God that is on your side. And there is a resurrection anointing that has been released in the atmosphere. This is what I heard the Lord say to me this morning in prayer. He said, you tell them that the days of the grave are over. That the days of death are gone. You know what the COVID thing was about? It was about burying the church. That's what it was. They could put trappings of health issues and, and all kinds of things, but this was a concentrated effort of hell to shut the church down. Say, well, that's not really true. It is true because they didn't shut down porno houses. They didn't shut down Walmart. They didn't shut down liquor stores. They didn't shut down Home Depot. They called them essential businesses. But when it came to the church, they dug a grave and they stuck us in it. And the health organization said, we'll put you in jail if you have church. Thank God, hallelujah, that on the third day that there was a declaration of heaven to the people of the Lord. And God was saying, if you're buried with me in the likeness of my death, then you automatically got to come up out of the grave in the likeness of my resurrection. Sometimes we have that song saying in our church, ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Hallelujah. Many of you wonder, Lord, why have I gone through so much? Because the Bible says that when we're buried in the likeness of his death, 
you go back and you read the account of Jesus' death, it wasn't a, a headache for an hour. Isaiah says, I can't even describe it. He says he was marred more than any other man. Doctors have used medical knowledge to describe what the physical side of what Jesus endured. And most of them say he died of a broken heart. And they tell everything that happened as the body began to shut down. The emotional side, the spiritual side of his death was the worst. Was because the men that he had poured into for three and a half years that he has pinned all of his prophetic hopes on are now cursing him and running from him and deserting him except for John. And then they begin to torture him. And the, the innocence of who Jesus was, was had to be difficult when they took all of his clothes off and they've got him bare naked on a cross. And the whole world is looking at him in his nakedness and he in all of his shame. No wonder the Bible talks about his shame and all of those things. If you want to ascend to the heights with Christ... You've got to go to the depths. If you're not willing to be all in, you will never have all of him. Because God is going to bring you through a place to where it looks like it's never going to change. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. If there is, it's a train. But death is only for three days. We're in the third day. Hallelujah. This remnant, not just in this room, but in the earth. One of the things the devil has done to us is he has isolated us from other brothers and sisters around the world. There are powerful churches, much more powerful in other countries. Brother David Oyedepo in Nigeria has 50,000 people just in his actual building. He built a church in one year that houses 50,000 people. And when you watch him have church, they're all in suits and ties and dressed up. And the guy preaches for two solid hours. And there are signs and wonders and miracles happening. It's all over the world. There is a remnant. But there is probably no nation that sin has snuck in the back door on more than the United States of America. You say, but what about Saudi Arabia or or Iraq or Iran, Muslim countries, all of these places? But they never were founded on the foundation of Jesus Christ. There is no history of Azusa Street in those places. That's what they're known for. But in this nation, because we are the only nation that chose Jesus that God has declared prophetically uh, that this nation, hallelujah, is going to release a resurgence uh, of the manifested glory of God in the atmosphere. uh, And you can't stop us. We are coming out. We are coming out of the grave by the power of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
but purpose. Suffering is about planting our purpose. That God puts purpose on your life, but then he'll make it die. I, looking back on my ministry, I died two times. I died when I was 34, lost everything, lost my church, lost my family, lost my children or my son, became homeless on the streets of Nashville, did not preach. I wasn't backslidden. The only thing that kept me going was my prayer life. But after a year of like that, God supernaturally ushered me into the office of the prophet. I never saw it, never was raised around it, didn't know what it was. The very first time that it ever hit me, I prophesied for 45 minutes. And that was the first time that I had ministered in over a year. But it was birthed, my prophetic was birthed out of great suffering to where I sat with a gun to my head because I didn't want to live anymore. And today, the ministry that, that, that I have, part of my ministry that is prophetic, came out of the levels of great suffering. When there was nobody around to encourage. That's why when I see people suffer now, I want to be a blessing to them. Because I remember not having anyone to put their arm around me and say, listen, you're going to come out of that. So, you know what I did? I learned how to pray better. Hallelujah. And you would find yourself in the prayer room with the Lord. And, and as you were just overwhelmed with the things of life, you would just draw nigh to God. And God would draw nigh to you. And just even right now, says the Lord, that there is a drawing nigh in this building. That the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. I release the Spirit of God. Right now, hallelujah, there's something happening in the atmosphere by the power of God. What is that? That there is purpose being released. The holiest things that you've gone through, God said it was not to your death, but it is for resurrection that the seed that is sown, that is put into the ground, is not what comes up. What you thought was over, God says, no, it's now releasing. You notice that anything that bears fruit doesn't grow fast. Doesn't. Plants, weeds, I don't know how it is, but weeds can grow on concrete. How many know that? Look at my driveway. I got concrete driveway. And weeds are growing up out of the concrete. Thinking, my God, how can that be? Because they don't produce any fruit. Anything that produces fruit takes several years of growth before the first fruit ever comes on it. 
you can go by and see a beautiful tree that's maybe seven, eight feet tall, and it's in green foliage. And you say, what is that? They go, that's a peach tree. Say, well, why aren't there any peaches on it? Well, it's too young yet. And see, just because you're not operating your purpose doesn't mean that there is no fruit in your DNA. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have to trust God. <clears throat> the other time that I died, in fact, my family basically died with me when Resting Place, which is our church for 16 years, we had an uprising, and, and it was a horrible night. It came unexpected, and there were such accusations made. And <clears throat> I remember just standing there with tears rolling down my face, and I was saying, how, how can we fix this? And they said, well, you can't. And all I had done was give $153,000 to missions. And when it was all over, we were down to about 65 people. And I can't tell you, it took everything in me to come back to church next Sunday morning and stand in the pulpit and preach without letting that spirit get loose in the people, in the sheep. And I thought, gone. And I can tell you this, I died. I got in the car and truck and I drove home and I sobbed like a child. And I told my wife, I said, I haven't had this much pain since I went through what I went through several years ago as a young man. And it looked like it was over, and we struggled, and the church stayed small, and there was a heaviness. And Wednesday nights, it was lucky if I had 20 people, and I wanted to quit the ministry. And I thought, God, I can't do this anymore. And we poured everything we have into this church, and we are failures. And then out of the blue. Hallelujah. Resurrection. Third day anointing. The grave had to open up. And God said he's coming out. And what came out wasn't what went in. What came out was regeneration. Regene. 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 By the power of the Holy Ghost. I see God digging up some graves and telling you, you are coming out by the power of the Holy Ghost. I can tell you this, the devil is a liar. You have never walked a road that somebody else has not already walked out and came out with victory. Yea, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. For in all things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord who has loved us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 and 20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
those of you that have construction knowledge, that know anything about building, you know this, that the most critical part of a building and the most difficult part of a building is foundation. If you don't get it right, the house is not going to stand. Everything is out of measurement. Nothing lines up. And as the pressures of weather and time and the weight of the building, the foundation begins to crack and eventually the house is in ruins. And so the part of the house that has to have the most attention and has to have, has to be the most correct and the strongest. It generally for a wood construction home, the only part of that house that has steel in it is the concrete. It's the footers. Because the weight of that house, whether it's a mansion or not, its longevity is dependent on the footers, on the foundation. And so the Lord says that the house of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and without saying Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I read today in Job, Jesus, or God was spoke, speaking to Job. He said, when, wherever you, when the cornerstone was laid and the sons of God shouted for joy. Uh, my God, that even back then prophetically, the Father, by the Spirit, laid the cornerstone, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And when it was laid in the prophetic plan of the Lord, the angels looked at each other and started shouting because they realized that the strength of that which was going to come prophetically down the road was Jesus Christ himself. So I bring up this scripture because Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he said, your fathers have killed the prophets. And then after resurrection and Jesus leaves, 11 of the 12 apostles, disciples, died a martyr's death. Why? Because they were the strength of the house and the devil was trying to get the foundation that the house of God was going to be built on. And so he went after it. And now... In this hour, this is what we're seeing. It has been decades since prophets have come under attack as they have been in the last two years. Now, <clears throat> without, when you have to say it, many of them brought it on themselves. But there are also, wherever there's a true prophet, there are always going to be false prophets. Yeah. 
So you have to learn to discern that when you're hearing the word being prophesied, does it resonate within your spirit? <clears throat> and a good much of the time, most of the time, when prophetic words are being released in the atmosphere over the house of God, it very rarely has anything to do with politics. Because God is bypassing politics. It can be sensational. We see all this stuff thrown out. But the reason that there is an attack on the office of the prophet is because the Bible says, and also what's getting ready to swing from the prophetic of the strength of the church is getting ready to be ushered in. The last focus will be on the office of the apostle. And we are shifting now into an apostolic realm where it's no longer God saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. The apostolic ministry is going to reenact, hallelujah, what the prophets have declared by the Spirit of the Lord. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard what the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But we are getting ready to stand and say, we are behold. Holding him, signs, wonders, and miracles are being released in the atmosphere by the power of God. And so it is the foundation of the church that the enemy's coming after. And if you can weaken the prophetic and the apostolic, then you destroy. The tensile strength of the house of God. And I will just throw this out. There are no Old Testament prophets. All prophets should be under authority. Hallelujah. And should be covered. And should be answering to somebody in their life for balance. Hallelujah. And maybe Saturday we'll, we're going to touch on this too. But um, when the Lord hears the cry of Israel, there is this cry coming up into heaven of great anguish. And it's God's people. And they are being tortured and afflicted by severe taskmasters. And... The Bible says, you know, that Moses, I, I think that Moses' mom, is, when he was a young boy, probably would sit him on her knee and say, you're special. Let me tell you what happened when you were born. And, and uh, they were supposed to kill you, and I hid you, and you were floating in a river, and then the guy that was supposed to kill you, his daughter found you, and God just worked it out to where the guy that was supposed to kill you became your daddy. And he raised you in his own house and nurtured you and took care of you. You are special, and God's going to use you to deliver his people. And it got in Moses. And when the day came that Moses decides that I have this great purpose on me and... I'm going to do what God's called me to do, and it ends in absolute disaster because it's out of the timing of God. And the reason it's out of the timing of God 
is because God doesn't need a king to deliver Israel. He needs a shepherd. And Moses is destined to be a king. And God said, I can't use you if you're a king. I need you to be a shepherd. So disaster looks like happens in Moses' life. Everything blows up. He runs from home. He's running for his life. He winds up in the backside of the desert, meets his father-in-law. And his father-in-law says, you want to tend sheep? And now God strategically takes the man who thought he would be king to deliver Israel and turns him into a shepherd because God said, you're going to lead my sheep into victory. Sometimes, see, we know when we have a call of God on our life. You can sense it. I knew by the time I was 13 or 14 that I was supposed to preach. And I didn't want to preach. I'd seen, in my estimation, all preachers were broke. <laughs> Had little churches, nothing but heartache. And um, that, that's not for me. I wanted to be a, con- a carpenter and build houses and did it through high school and things like that. But <clears throat> when I was 17 years old, I had a divine encounter with the Lord, and that night I told the Lord I would preach. And from the age of 17, I began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when we have the purpose on us, then we think we know what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. That is where suffering comes in. Because God will allow you to go through a process to where you finally lose all hope in yourself. And then out of the blue, you know, it's, it's very funny. I, I'm always, we, we always tell <clears throat> Prophet Jane, Apostle Jane, how much we love her because <clears throat> we tried to do this for several years. And we'd have our conferences and uh, Saturday night and, and Sunday and I couldn't get my own church come to them. <laughs> really. Saturday night, you know, our church said about comfortably 250. And Saturday night come, and I, none of my elders were there. Some of my leaders weren't there. We'd have like 60 people. And first of all, it's really embarrassing as a pastor <laughs> to have a conference and bring in a quality speaker and nobody shows up. <clears throat> and you're sitting there thinking, God, please just let him come in through the door. Just come through the door. <clears throat> so now, when I look at this, I'm just grateful. Because I realize we didn't do this. Except the Lord. <laughs> build the house. So we went into the month of January in prayer and fasting. And you talk about suffering. 
Because I, I, I started asking the Lord. I said, well, maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe it's over. And I closed the doors because we don't have anywhere to go. By the end of January, hallelujah, thank God for, Jane, or for Linda Hilliard and Rick Massey. They laid awake half the night bombarding heaven, and we find a building that was a mile from where I lived for 28 years, and I didn't know it was there. <clears throat> and we were able to purchase that building, and, and now, you know, we need millions of dollars. <laughs> But I can't worry about it because God doesn't expect me to pay for a building I'm not building. Except the Lord. Build the house. Whoever builds the house has to pay for it. I've never had anybody come to me and say, I'm building a house, but you're paying for it. It don't work that way. Whoever owns the house has to pay for the house to be built. And so when we walk into that building debt-free, it'll just be another exclamation that if we know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, we shall also know him, not just in resurrection, but in what? Power, power, power of the resurrection. Jesus, first of all, he said it. He said, you can't kill me. He said, no man's going to take my life. He said, the Father's given me the power when it's time to lay it down. And he said, he's given me the power when it's time to take it up. And I can promise you prophetically that the resurrection anointing that is in this nation on the house of God is not temporary. Hallelujah. And what we're coming into now, and for many of you in this room, get ready because God is shifting gears. And he's getting ready to hit a gear called speed. And speed steps outside of the laws of the natural world. When the natural world says it's impossible for it to happen unless it accumulates this much time, the speed of heaven will step into the equation. And overnight, what should have took a year, three years, five years, uh, hallelujah, we're in a moment's time. I watched it on December 27, 2020. We went from a handful of people to five weeks later a hundred new people every single Sunday. I stood there all flabbergasted thinking, God, what am I seeing? He said, you're seeing speed that I am taking a hold of what the enemy said could not happen. I lose speed, speed, speed upon you by the power of God on your businesses, on your anointing, on your vision by the power of the Lord. And God would lose the speed 
of the Holy Ghost. So, just a couple more thoughts here. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, 38 talks about this. The Lord, he begins to speak about harvest. And he said, the harvest is very great. That, also, that tells me right there that it's not just going to be a, a, a trickle of people that are going to come into the house of the Lord. But there's going to be this release, and, and I'm going to have to touch something else. I'm going to go off on a different thought real quick. The Bible says this, that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Nancy and I were talking about this recently, and, and I've always had a difficulty with that particular verse because I have seen and known people who have had gifts and a call of God on their life, and then through sin... That gift stops, and they never operated in it again. And I'm thinking, well, you know, whether in sin or not, the gift should operate. But could it be that when God says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance and that they're not taken away, that it means they're not taken out of the earth? Could it mean that God can take that gift that one person had that didn't value it. It's still in the earth. He doesn't come home because the word of God cannot return back unto him void, but it has to flourish and accomplish, and it prospereth in the thing that God has sent it. It could be that what God is saying is that there are many men and women that have had great gifts and anointing on their life in times gone by. But they did not value that gift. They did not nurture it. They did not protect it. And so God, because I think it's in Revelations, he talks to one of the church. He said, I will take your candlestick away. And I will give it to another. <clears throat> and I think that God, that the atmosphere right now is swirling. With anointing and gifts and talents and callings that have been in limbo because the vessel was not able to function in it because of the way they treated it. And God is getting ready to release onto other individuals that gift and that anointing that somebody else had walked in. Because they hunger and they thirst for righteousness. So now the Lord is speaking here and he says, the harvest is great. He doesn't say the harvest is rotten. The only thing he says about the harvest, he says in one place, he says, lift up your eyes for it's white. He's referencing wheat at this point because at matriation, wheat, the head of it turns white. So he's looking on the wheat fields and he says, lift up your eyes. See the analogy? He says that the harvest, it's very great. 
One word in the original in the Greek means it's much. So there goes the theory that just going to be a handful of people come to Jesus before the rapture. We are getting ready to step over. Hallelujah. Into the greatest ingathering and outpouring of the glory of God that the world has ever seen. And it's not going to be just in major cities or old God portals. It's going to hit little towns. It's going to hit states like Wisconsin, South Dakota, hallelujah, New Mexico. I'm telling you, I see it in the spirit. There is a fire of God that is going to hit all four corners of the United States and then it's going to begin to crisscross until every state saith God in this world, in this nation is being baptized with the anointing of the Holy Ghost and fire. You might as well get ready. The days of suffering are over. The days of death are over. There is a resurrection. I hear the sound of the trump of God saying come up out of the grave and when you come up out of the grave we will never go back in so the Lord says this he said concerning the harvest one scripture says he's Lord of the harvest so that means that in one scripture says man can plant another can water but what's it say Only God can give increase. So increase is not a natural ability. It has to come from God. So he says, when he looks at the harvest, he says, it's immense. And he says, it's ready. I believe that the United States is ready for an apostolic Holy Ghost Revival. And this is why there is an evil minority voice, not speaking ethnically. I'm just simply saying that the voice of evil that rules the airways is a very small percentage of the population in this nation. And most of America does not believe the liberal ideologies or paradigms. They're not buying into that. That is not a true representation of the paradigm of this nation. There is still a rock solid foundation of the apostles and the prophets that the enemy has not been able to destroy. And every disciple that died a martyr's death did not recant. So that means that there is blood. Doesn't the Bible say the life is in the blood? So that means uh, that underneath the pinion and the foundation of this nation, hallelujah, there is the life of the blood of the apostolic uh, and the prophetic uh, that is holding up the church. Uh, And God said, uh, and nevertheless, the foundation of God uh, standeth sure, uh, for the Lord knoweth them that are his, uh, and let everyone who 
who nameth the name of the Lord depart from iniquity and take heed Paul said what you build on the foundation for every house shall be tried by fire there is a Pentecostal apostolic fire of the Holy Ghost that's getting ready to hit old terra firma and God's going to burn down every counterfeit house but the foundation remaineth sure saith the Lord Hallelujah. That I put fire in your bones. That I put a sound in your spirits. So then we go to the other part of this. The Lord says this. He says, the harvest is fine, guys. I got it. He said, the problem is that the laborers, not very many of them. So he doesn't say, pray you therefore that God will create a whole bunch of laborers for this great harvest. He said, the harvest is fine. He said, there are not very many laborers. But he said, pray you therefore that God will send forth the laborers into the harvest. And when, remember, I'm talking to you about speed. This is what the word sends forth. When you go back to the etymology of send forth, it literally is talking about speed. Pray ye therefore that God will with speed not create more labors, but the ones that exist. He said, I don't need a whole bunch. He said, I just need them to get loose in the harvest. So he said, it is our responsibility that God will take the labors that exist and put a hyper speed on them and send us into the harvest By the power of God. Now it comes back that we begin to get an unction. That when God speeds things up. Heaven's open. What Jesus could not do in 30 years. As soon as the heavens open. He was able to do in days. Why? Because the Holy Spirit set on him. We are in a season. The Lord would say this. He would say, fear not, little flock. One scripture says, broad is the gate and narrows the way. Broad is the gate that, and that leads into destruction. And narrows the way and few. There be that find it. Our problem is we are confusing laborers with harvest. And they're different. Laborers are the remnant that have learned to know God in the fellowship of his sufferings. That are going to go into the harvest. And the few, the remnant... Paul said, that still remaineth, 
we're going to supernaturally begin to bring in the entire harvest into the kingdom of the Lord. <clears throat> we're going to see here in the next few months where I begin to see, but God is pruning the house. That's part of bearing much fruit. That's part of bringing in much harvest. It's the Lord <clears throat> is pruning. and You know, I've heard... <clears throat> We will see sometimes God will uncover a ministry that for years has been unclean and practiced sin. And I've heard Christians say, well, you know, I hate to see that uncovered because it makes the church look bad. I rejoice in the fact. First of all, let me say this. God never uncovers somebody openly until he has went to them first in private. It is the heart of the Father to cover your weakness and your sin. And God will always choose before he uncovers you publicly to come to you in private. And if you break and you yield, God will not uncover your sin. So anytime you see well-known people that are uncovered on a national scale, it's because they have rejected in private the reprimand or the counsel of God when he came to them and said, make changes. And so when we see God as he's going to do more and more, begin to uncover men that the world thought were righteous. It is because the Lord is pruning and purging the body of Christ that she is healed and whole and there is no sickness in her because where sin abounds, demon spirits have a foothold. So the Lord is saying, I am raising up a chaste virgin and bride that is full of glory, full of anointing, full of power. We're getting ready to see the blind eyes open, the dead raised in the United States of America. They're going to come out of wheelchairs. We're going to see the glory of God revealed by the majesty of the Lord. Why? Because we've learned to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. So I end this with what he said. That I will know him. Not just in resurrection. But in power. This is where we've laxed in the church. We've had great worship, great teaching, great prophetic words. But when it comes down to dealing with the demon spirits of hell, we've not had the power. And the Lord said, be careful that you don't have the form of God, but you deny the power thereof. And so tonight, I want to leave this in your spirit, that you are in a divine moment where you are coming out of your graves. Hallelujah. Man, I can see faces in this building that the enemy has tried to bury you, and you're thinking, God, am I going to make it? And the Lord is saying, get ready, because there's resurrection. Listen, God's no respecter of persons. If he can do it for me and my family and our church, he's going to do it for you. 
For more information about Kent Christmas Ministries International or Regeneration Nashville, go to kentchristmas.org or regenerationnashville.org.